Good morning, Calvary. Good morning. Our prayer is to let it be Jesus. It's our desire, it's our hope, it's our, what we're going for, what we're striving for. So in everything that we do, we want our life to be Jesus. And I want to just pause and ask you this morning, is that really what you're doing? Is that the desire of your heart to come in and allow the power of Jesus, the power of what he is doing in our lives to, to really let him resonate so that he is everything that is your all? We've been doing a series on contentment. I've challenged us to be content. We've asked you to uh, cultivate, to create, and consume the power of God. To let him be all that you are. I've been struck by this phrase this last week, however, and that I think a lot of times we know that we're supposed to be human beings, but we actually are the human doings. You know what I'm saying by that? Human doings. We go, we go, we go, we go, and, and I wonder if we could just pause today, pause in this moment, pause as we allow the power of God to speak to us and just be. Maybe you came into this room this morning with some prayer requests. Maybe you came in with a heavy heart. I want to do something a little unusual this morning, and I'm not going to ask anyone to share anything out loud, and no one has to voice anything out loud. But if you have a specific prayer request that you'd like someone to pray for this week, and you feel so bold as just to stand up, what we're going to do is we're going to ask people around you just to look around and find one person and to commit to pray for that person this week. I know that's a little outside our comfort zone, so if you don't want to stand up, I totally get it. But if you'd like to have people praying for you this week, would you just be willing to stand up even now? Very good. Now look around. Would you just try to identify one person? Maybe you could say, I'm going to pray for this person this week. And for those that couldn't stand, know that we're praying for you as well. God, we thank you for the power of who you are. God, so often we just go, 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 go. And I, I pray this morning we would just rest in your presence. That the, those standing, God, uh, you would be extra tangible. That your power and your presence would resonate in their lives. That as they live and breathe and serve you, your peace would overwhelm them. God, in our midst, we pray that you would speak powerfully even now. In your name we pray. Amen. We're supposed to create and cultivate and consume the power of God, which ultimately invites the kingdom of God to be a here and now thing and not just heaven and the next life. That's important because it means that our lives should be different than those around us. If the kingdom begins here and now, though, is your life marked by the reflection of that? And what I mean by that is not that you can't have seasons of struggle, seasons of difficulty, but if you looked at the overview of your life, would you say that the overview of your life is measured by the tangible presence of God? In other words, that there is peace, love, joy, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that this is what you're known for. If you're struggling with those, I want to 
address those this morning as we even transition into our next series about how to have contentment and the reason there may be two problems in your life that, that allow the contentment to struggle. And I want to do so by reading um, a difficult passage, Matthew 7, uh, verses 13 through 14. And Matthew 7 is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the end of the opening salvo of Jesus' ministry, the end of the opening sermon that challenges us to really know that life should be a little different. And here's what he says. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. And if you find it. The idea of the narrow gate here is, is not one of a quantity of followers of Jesus. The idea of the narrow gate is rather that there is one path. There is a narrow gate. And a lot of times we think of our faith as like a funnel. We think that God is somehow working through this funnel. That all these destinations end up leading to a single path. And that's what this passage refutes. There is a narrow gate. There is a singular path. There is one way to have peace, joy, etc. Contentment. To allow God's kingdom to come down in our life and to change us. We know that. And so we oftentimes try to live like that, but we can fool ourselves. And I want to read a, another passage here that it's a little bit scary. It's later on in that same sermon, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. It says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? A modern version may even include, didn't we serve popcorn at movie at the park in your name? That doesn't really say that. You realize that, right? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. <laughs> cheery message. Happy uh, summer to everybody around. We can look at this and we can go, that, that kind of scares me because how do I know if I'm really a follower of Jesus? Because really what he's doing is he's speaking to the religious people and he says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is actually a follower of Jesus. Now, when we wrestle with this, we can go and somebody might come to another passage and this says, those who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. There's power in the name of Jesus and our salvation comes in the name of Jesus. So how do these two passages match? Well, the word Lord there literally means master. Jesus is the source of our salvation. But in order for Jesus to be the source of our salvation, you have to come into line where you make him the Lord, the master of your life. And what he's saying in this passage is there are a whole lot of people who know that you're supposed to look like a follower of Jesus in order to be actually saved. And so they go and they do the little things. They check off a few boxes. They go through the motions. They show up at Sunday morning saying, with church, way smile, everybody, kids behave, you know. They might put a little money in the offering box. They might even serve at party at the park or movie at the park or whatever park we're serving in that day. They might even go on a mission trip. They might even teach a Sunday school class somehow trying to fool others and fool themselves into saying, Jesus is the Lord and master of my life, but yet they don't ever make him their master. This scares me a little. Does it scare you? 
The way this looks, I always describe this illustration, Drew covers this in Discovering Calvary quite often, is our salvation is like being on a boat that's sinking. You know that? It's not like the Titanic. It's not going down today, probably, you know. It's a slow, slow leak. We know the boat is sinking, and as a result, we know the boat is sinking, so we look around and we go, I'm hopeless, I'm helpless, I am in need of someone to save me because I'm in the middle of the ocean. I'm not in the middle of a lake, okay? I can't swim across the ocean to get help. I can't do this on my own. When the boat goes under, I'm doomed. This is what it means to recognize that we are in depravity, that we have walked away from the power and the presence of God. We plugged a hole in our boat, and ever since then, it's slowly leaking and eventually will cause us to die. But God didn't sit there and go, ha ha, they punched a hole in the bottom of their boat. Wonder what they're going to do about that. No, he sent the Savior of the world to rescue us. And so when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he said, I know this boat is going under. I know that you are sinking. I know that depravity is going to overwhelm you. But I have made you to have a relationship with me. And so anybody who calls on my name can be saved. And what he does is he wraps his arm around us. He encompasses us. In Revelation, it describes him as the bridal dress as you wear before going to the Father. So when the Father looks at you, he sees you pure and clean like a bride on her wedding day. That's the illustration it does in Revelations 19. I love that. So when Jesus encompasses us with himself, for those who ask him to, it's like we're putting on a life jacket. We're putting on a life preserver. And all of a sudden, at that moment, we're saved. In one sense of the word, we're saved. In another sense of the word, we're saved when the boat actually goes under or the next life. That's when the kingdom of God gets to its fruition. But on this life, as the boat is going under, we're saved because we have security. Our salvation is secure. Does that make sense? Now, here's the reality. Some people think they have a life jacket on, but they don't. Because if you understand the power of what this life jacket does, you don't sit there and go, I got a life jacket on, now let's go party on the boat. Where's the band? I'm going to go store as much stuff as possible in my room because this boat's going down and whoever has the most stuff in their room wins as the boat's going under. No, there's a reality that says we are here for a purpose. We are here for a reason. And then when we have this life jacket, we understand that the boat's going under and we want to take as many people with us. So here you take a life jacket. Here you take a life jacket. His name is Jesus. Do you live your life like that? There's another type of person who lives in the corner cowering, going, I have Jesus. I think I have Jesus. Oh, I need to go around. I want, oh, I'm so scared. How do I, how do I know if I have Jesus? <laughs> do I have Jesus? And, and we, God does not want you to live in the spirit of partying and the spirit of timidity either. He wants you to party with him, but that's another story, okay? He doesn't want you to live for yourself, but he also doesn't create you to have a spirit of anxiety knowing if I'm a follower or not. So how do I know if this is me? How do I know if I'm saved? Well, Jesus is actually speaking in the middle of these two passages to the religious people. And here's what he says. Be in your guard, in verse 15 of chapter 7, against false prophets, people who claim to be religious, people who claim to follow Christ, but don't actually do it, who come to join you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from the thorn bushes or figs from the thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. 
A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. All the farmers in the room echoed amen, right? For every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Now, this is not just about the false prophets. This is about us. This is about the reality of how you know Jesus. Because one of the two problems that may make you understand that you are not living a content life, one of the two main problems that may result in you not having peace, love, joy, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, is this. You may have no fruit in your life because you are not saved. That's not something I like to say. But I've been to church every week since I was three. True. Have you made him Lord of your life? Have you made him the master? You see, when Jesus came and died on the cross, he died on the cross for you and me. And he said, come, take up the cross and follow me. But in order to die to the cross, it doesn't mean we have to actually literally die on a cross. Aren't we glad? But it means we have to die to ourselves. The result of this, the measure of this, because we know that as Christians, we're supposed to look like Christians. We know as followers of Christ, we're supposed to look like followers of Christ. And so we go out and we do our duties. We go out and we sew up early and we carry water jugs from this church over to the Cumberland Park over and over and over again. And we even stay till like midnight helping people tear down. And we want everyone to know that we did it in a grand way. Instagram, Insta story, woohoo! Serving Jesus, loving the Lord. But is he the Lord of your life? No amount of good actions, no amount of good deeds can make you actually have a relationship with Jesus. So how do we know if we are actually and truly saved? Galatians 5, 16 through 25 answers this. I'd say then, if you walk by the Spirit, and notice the word Spirit there is capitalized because it represents the Holy Spirit. If you walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. The flesh is your inward desire, what I want. I want to live for me. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. So that I say, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, in other words, he is your master. God himself dwells within you. You are not under the law. Why? Because the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, Moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. That was a long list. I'm warning you about these things, and I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what do we do with that? Because I don't know about you, but there's some stuff on that list that I occasionally sometimes struggle with. Anybody? It's just me. This is a little bit awkward. <laughs> no, it's saying that what a true believer is not going to sit there and go, God, I'm going to follow you, but in the area of whatever, let's just pick one, right? You got to pick a safe one. Jealousy. In the area of jealousy, I'm going to, that's a horrible example. Outbursts of anger. I'm going to have my outbursts of anger. After all, you gave me this personality, and so I'm going to live my outbursts of anger whenever I want to. And so I'm going to follow you in some of the ways, but when I want to have an outburst of anger, I'm going to have an outburst of anger. I want to do what I want to do. And saying, if that's your MO, to say, God, you can have some of my life, but not all of my life, then you are not really a follower of Jesus. Because a follower of Jesus dies to himself or herself and says, 
all of me belongs to you. So once again, that's, that sounds like a bunch of rules and regulations. So how do I know if this is really penetrating my heart? Let me be really clear. I want to say this again so that in case you, there's any confusion, I, I don't believe that the Spirit wants to confuse us, okay? If your life is driven by, I'm going to give God some, but I'm going to keep some, then that means that you're not really following Jesus. If your entire life, not that a season doesn't be like that, if your entire life is driven, I'm not going to give God this portion of my life, then you don't know what it means to call him Lord. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified with the flesh, with its passions and its dires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, you don't even want those things anymore. If you follow God, if you learn to grow up in your faith and you're crucified, you're saying, I'm dying to that way of life. As Jesus has called me in to follow him, I'm no longer going to live for myself. I'm going to live for the passion and the way that comes by him. We have peace. We have joy. We understand that the boat is sinking and we're going to live our life with that understanding. So you can have a season of distraction, but if the Spirit of God is really in you, then you will not do what you want to do. In other words, you will not be driven by the law, but by Jesus. So let me put it like this. I say this quite often too. The law will seldom lead someone to Christ. But Christ will always lead us to the law. Let me say it to you like this. The rules of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The regulations, the duties, the actions, the performance of following Christ will seldom lead someone to Christ, but Christ will always lead us to looking like a follower of Christ. This is called sanctification, drawing into his presence, becoming more and more like him. Not that we'll ever arrive, not that we'll ever be like him, because that would make us like God. We're not God. But he compels us and calls us to be like him. So for the believer, obedience isn't drudgery. It's freedom. But I don't want to give up this part of my life. You should. Because that's where peace, love, joy, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self. I don't want to do what the Bible says. I want to do it. You should. Because that's where freedom is found. And you see, a lot of times what we want is we want the crown without the cross. I heard a pastor say that this last week. I love it. We want the crown, but we don't want the cross. We want the reward without the punishment. We want the, the, the gain with no pain. It doesn't come. You have to go through the motions and you have to understand. And so you may have no fruit in your life because you're not saved. But there's also another reason you may have no fruit in your life. And by the way, I want to just pause real quick and say this. If you know that you aren't a follower of Jesus, what are you waiting on? The boat is going under. Are you going to just live your life going, I'm going to put my life jacket on at the last second? It doesn't always work that way. What I would say is, if you know the implications of what the eternal life should be, eternity, 
and you know that you need Jesus, the kingdom of God isn't just about the next life, but it's about this life. And the reason you're not happy in this life is not because you haven't found the right party or the right promotion or the right amount of money in your bank account. The reason you're not happy is because you aren't really making him the Lord and Savior and the master of your life. Because this is where peace comes. And the Bible says if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, then you can be saved. And you say, I'm going to follow him. So we understand that we were made with depravity, made with dignity. God loved you, and that he died for you, and that he wants you to follow him the rest of your days. If you've never done that, and you want to do that, then here's what you can do. You can say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, and come in. We're going to walk you through that. Say, what do I do? Just Jesus, come into my life. Come in right now. I want you to be Lord of my life. And then go to the next step space afterwards and we want to talk you through it because it's important as you're about to see to help you grow in your faith. The second reason that you may not have the contentment in your life that you think, that you may not see the fruit in your life isn't because you're saved. It's because you may have no fruit in your life because you've never grown up. So what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Galatians chapter 4. Verses 1 through 7. Here's what it says. I love this. I love the way this passage talks about it. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything. Remember that. Owner of what? We can do it better than that. Owner of what? Instead, he is under the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In the same way also, when we were children, we were in slavery, that was awkward, we were in slavery under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons or daughters. And because you are sons or daughters, God sent the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. I love this. What is that talking about? I don't understand what that's talking about. Let me explain it to you like this, okay? You and I, we were living as slaves to our flesh. There's no freedom in the slavery, right? You're in bondage. You're in shackles. You are, your master controls you. You are bound to live your life in the bondage of finding the next meal, the next hope, the next joy. But God didn't look down on us and say, oh, you know what? You put a hole in your boat and you did that on your own called sin. And I don't really care for you. Instead, the father looked down on you and said, I am choosing to love you. In other words, he adopts us. I love that picture because when you have an adoption, it's a beautiful picture because the parents are saying, I choose you. My kids, whatever came, came. And I love them. But when you adopt a kid, you're sitting there. If you're an adopted kid, I want you to feel special because your parents said, you're mine. Right? So the father looked down and he said, I choose you. You are mine. Beautiful, right? Except that what it says there, look back at verse 1. Now, I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave. Though he is the owner and the guardian, the owner of everything. The everything, the inheritance that we have are the characteristics of Christ, which are peace, love, joy, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. 
But I don't ever feel those. It's because you've never grown up. You're still a child in your faith. You've never really understood what it's like to experience the freedom of what it means to grow up. And I would say this. I love this phrase, and it's a phrase that I didn't coin, but our churches are filled with adults that shave. I'm sorry, with boys and girls that shave. We should be filled with adults that shave. We've never grown up. You know what adults do? They take responsibility for their own actions, feeding themselves, and surviving while leaning into God and others. You know what happened when my boys were born? I didn't sit there and go, six months old, when this degenerate going to get a job? <laughs> I mean, for real, they want three meals a day. When are they going to start learning to feed themselves? I mean, come on, you have two teeth? <laughs> I mean, no, when they're babies... They're dressed. When they make a mess, they're changed. They are fed. But as time grows on, they begin to take more and more responsibility, more and more accountability, more and more doing things on their own. Parents, if you aren't teaching your children that, then you're hurting them. It's okay for them to do the laundry. All the kids in the room went, no, it's not. Yes. It is. As they grow up, they need to learn more and more responsibility. Why? Because that's how you function as an adult. Now, I'm an adult. You may not know that or not. I am. And this morning, I had to feed myself. Well, okay, McDonald's fed me, but I had to choose to go there. I dressed myself contrary to popular rumor. My wife does not dress me. I had to go and do all these things. I set my own alarm. I had to get up and I had to do all these things. And no one, if I hadn't done it, y'all would have had Trevor preaching on a fly. And he would have loved it, right? But everybody been like, where's Daniel? Well, that's not very responsible for him not to just show up. But you have a responsibility every time you show up in the presence of God. You have a responsibility to grow in your faith. And you can be a believer for 30 years, but if you've never found contentment in your faith, it's because you are still acting like a child. Somebody feed me. I'm messy. Somebody change me. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I'm going to put you in time out. I'm going to challenge you to realize that God didn't make you to be a child in the kingdom of God forever. Adults take responsibility for their own actions, yet we need each other, right? And we need God. So adults take responsibility for their own actions, feeding themselves, surviving while leaning into God and others. So here's what this is going to look like. We're about to go into a new series. A new series called You Are Here. And in this series, we're going to give you a 30-day challenge like we've done before on spiritual formations. We're going to teach you some of the basic tools of growing in your faith. We're going to have sermons that talk about growing in your faith. We are going to do our best to feed you and to challenge you and to encourage you to stop acting like children and to grow up.
whether or not you're an adult or not, because I still need to be challenged all the time. Because sometimes the little child in me reverts, and I act a little hangry, and I get a little grumpy, and I lose my way, and my wife has to say, you're a grown man, act like it. Amen, ladies? Some of you are like, do you really want me to say amen? It's okay. Sometimes we need to challenge each other, but as adults, we need to learn to feed each other. So here's our Monday morning application this week. First of all, find out why, if you aren't content, is it because you aren't a believer or you haven't grown in your faith? It's one of those two things. And then the second part of the Monday morning application is simply this. Establish some clear and measurable goals of spiritual growth. You know what is not a good measurable goal? I'm never going to sin again. I know I've been struggling with outbursts of anger for 42 years, right? But I'm not, as of this day, I am no longer going to have an outburst of anger in my life ever again. You heard me say that. Don't believe me? I'm just kidding. It doesn't work. So what we're going to do is to realize that the void in your life when you're wanting to have a clear, measurable spiritual goal is to fill it with the characteristics of Christ. So a good measurable goal is I'm going to attend the next five weeks of the sermon series so that I might grow. But I have a paid vacation that's going to, I can't get the refund for it. I can't, there's this thing called podcasts. You can listen to it. I'm going to take the challenge to grow in my faith. I'm going to do the 30-day challenge. Clear, measurable goal. I'm going to open up my Bible every day until I find an application. I'm going to try that application. Clear, measurable goal. Feed your self. Because you only eat one meal a week, you're going to be starving. That's just the truth. So we're going to do that. And then from there, what we're going to do is we're going to allow Christ to come into our life. The end of that sermon is in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And here's what it says. Right after he's gone through and says, I don't know if you have the measure of this. I don't know if you're really growing in your faith. I don't know what this looks like. But here's what it says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded the house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. In other words, whatever trials, whatever tribulations came their way, their, may, their faith was measured by peace, love, joy, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Cancer struck, peace, love, joy, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. Lost a job, it stinks, but peace, love, joy, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Someone robbed me with a gun. That's okay. It's not a fun thing. But peace, love, joy, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. How? My foundation is on the rock. His name is Jesus. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. Kids play in the sandbox. Grown-ups move rocks. And the rain fell, and the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and it collapsed with a great crash. So the choice is yours, because this life is going to have difficulties. This life is going to have trials and struggles and tribulations, but if you want to succeed in life, you want to grow in your faith, you want to find a place where you're no longer a child, but your life is marked with the upgrade of contentment, then you got to seek the foundation. His name is Jesus. Christ alone is our cornerstone, and on him, nothing can destroy us. So will you do that this week? Even now? What's a clear measurable goal? Because if I don't have you do it right now, you're going to walk out of here and you're not going to think of it again. 
even if your clear measurable goal is to come up with clear measurable goals by the end of the day, come up with something. Right now, I'm serious. Don't you think as preacher talk? I'm not. Think of a goal. And then allow Christ to move in your life. Guys, I love you. And I believe God's going to do amazing things in the days ahead. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But when we commit to growing up in our faith, to maturing in our faith, to following Christ, to giving our life to Christ and saying, whatever your will, whatever your way, our lives will change for the better. So we do that. Let him be the cornerstone. God, as we worship you right now, we give you every fiber of our being. We ask that you would move in mighty ways. Oh, Spirit, we ask for your presence to come alive in us. God, help us to take one more step. Whether we're a child in a faith, a teenager in our faith, an adult that's acting like a child, we confess right now that we need to become more like you. So God, as we chase after your son, the fathers and his son, we know how good he is. And we ask that we would try to become more like him, evoking the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, growing, maturing, and seeking you. As we go on this journey together, would you be our cornerstone?